All right, so let me ask you a question, uh, something that's probably happened to all of you, you've seen it, or even worse, you've participated in it. Have you ever seen a kid throw a temper tantrum in a store? I mean, like, exorcist-level temper tantrum. (laughs) Back flailing, screaming. If you have... I want you to picture that in your head. Because if you're the parent and that happens, you are mortified that this is your child acting like this, right? Because you're a better parent than this, right? If you're an observer, it can create levels of judgment in you that you never thought you had, right? Before Stacy and I had kids, we were both school teachers. And when we saw this one particular kid, I can't remember who the kid was, but I remember the conversation Stacy and I had because we saw this kid throwing a fit. And we didn't just think if that was our kid, that would never happen. We actually said it to each other. Then we had kids, right? And that creates a level playing ground on the whole judgment thing, right? We could control and we could manage, control's a heavy word, we could manage a classroom of 30 kids, but not our own child when it came to the store, right? Now, if you're the kid, though, in that picture, there's something desperately wrong in your world to make you throw a tantrum tantrum like that, right? That candy you wanted and your mom said you can't have, there's something wrong in your world. Something isn't as you want it. You are being asked to do something, and in your heart and in your soul, everything in you is screaming, I don't want to. As a matter of fact, that's what you could say a temper tantrum is. It is a kid saying, I don't want to. Temper tantrums are this mixture of sadness and anger, pride and exhaustion, right? Because if you're tired, it's easier to throw a temper tantrum. It's this mixture of desire and demand. You want something and you want it right now, or you don't want something and you don't want it ever. And here's the deal. Tantrums are obvious in kids, but adults have them all the time too, don't we? We just don't fall down on the floor screaming as often as we did when we were kids. Right? And so here's a question for you. When was the last time you threw a temper tantrum? Right? Like an adult sophisticated temper tantrum. When was the last time you said, I don't want to? I don't want to get out of bed this morning. Right? I don't want to empty the dishwasher. Ugh. I don't want to fold the laundry. Don't mind doing it. Just don't want to fold it. I don't want a parent today. I don't want an adult today. That's a fun one. You see, our temper tantrums have the same source now that they did then, that they did then when we were kids. Sadness and anger, pride and exhaustion, desire and demand. And it's one thing to have an adult tantrum about dishes. Um, It's another one, though, when you have a tantrum about something bigger. What if our don't want to is directed toward God? What happens then? What if our temper tantrum is about our spiritual life? 
and engaging in our spiritual life? What if it's about reading your Bible? I don't want to read my Bible. What if it's about praying? What if it's about going to growth group? What if it's about serving or even, or even worshiping or coming to worship? Well, that is what we're going to see today as we jump back into Hebrews. Because today, what we're going to see is that Jesus is greater than don't want to. Jesus is greater than your don't want to. He's greater than my don't want to. Jesus is greater than don't want to. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up. We've got a big passage to go through today. Um, and not only is, do we have a lot of verses to get through today, some of the verses that we're going to hit today are some of the most controversial verses in the book of Hebrew, and in some cases, the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament. And I'm hoping that the picture that we paint today helps us understand what the author of this book, what the preacher of this sermon was describing as he preached this message. And hopefully we'll leave here today a little more clear on this passage and a little more clear on our own spiritual walk too. So we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter five, verses 11 through chapter six, verse 12. If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. And in that Bible, we're on page 844. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you because we'd love for you to have uh, your own copy of God's word in your own hands. Or you can also uh, look on the Bible app and click on events and Fellowship Asheville and all this stuff is there too. So, so you can do one of those ways to have God's word in your hands. Uh, we're going back into our series in Hebrews called Greater Than, uh, where we're seeing that Jesus is greater than all of our ups and downs, all of our, our fears and all of our doubts, all of our failures, and even greater than all of our successes. And, and where we left off last week, the preacher, and, and the reason I, I refer to him as the preacher, if you remember, the book of Hebrews isn't a letter uh, written like most of, the, most of the New Testament was. There were letters from one person to a group of people or one person to another person. This book of Hebrews is a sermon. And what we don't know about this book, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know who preached this sermon. What we do know, though, is who it was preached to, and it was preached to a group of Hebrews. That's why we get the name. And so this congregation that it was preached to were, were people who had become followers of Jesus, and they grew up in, in Orthodox um, um, Jewish homes. And so they understood the Old Testament. They understood the passages, and this preacher preaches to them as if they grew up in a, in a Jewish home. We did not. So part of, part of our job is to bridge that gap between what he assumed they understood and what we don't understand and connect those two dots. And today, where he left off right before Easter, he talked about this guy named Melchizedek, right? Which is what we all name our kids because he's such a popular person for us, right? No, we, we, you know, we, they understood who Melchizedek was. We had to walk through that. And, and, and this preacher wants to explain more about Melchizedek. But, but what we're going to see today is he takes this aside. So, so he preach, he's preaching this message. He brings up this guy, Melchizedek. And then where we pick up today is where he goes, hold on. Before I go more into more depth about Melchizedek, we got something else we've got to deal with first. And so look, look at verse 11, and let's see what he says we have to deal with first. This is chapter 5, verse 11. It says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. So that's him talking about Melchizedek. We're going to get to him in just a minute. So it's about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So here's this warning passage. Here's this warning chunk in this sermon where he wants to talk about Melchizedek, but he's got this issue he's got to deal with first. And the issue is 
people in his church, not everybody, and we'll see in a little bit, but there's, there's some people who have become, become dull of hearing. In other words, they've become lazy. And in a sense, this warning captures what happens when you, as a, as a person who's attending church, says, I don't want to, to God. That's what he's talking about. That person who says, I don't want to, over the long haul, becomes dull of hearing. And so what happens when people in the church say, I don't want to, to God? Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is, since he is a child. So when someone says, I don't want to, to God, when that's their response and that's their temper tantrum and that's who their their tantrum is directed to, here's what that I don't want to looks like when you look at a, 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 a section of their life. It looks like this. That don't want to looks like no growth in God's word. In other words, that Bible that you turned on, that Bible that you have in your lap, if you're a person who says, I don't want to, to God, what happens is that Bible gets closed on Sunday and doesn't get opened again until the next Sunday when you're sitting in here and I tell you where we're going to be. And there's no growth in in your understanding. There's no growth in in what God's word means to you. And so, so for this church, this Hebrew church that he's preaching to, What he's saying is that they continue to feed on someone else's understanding. And they don't know how to read and study and and apply God's word for themselves. And it's this verse that, that fuels why we do growth groups the way that we do them. And so if you're involved in one of our circles, if you're involved in one of our growth groups, there's an expectation on you to engage in your own spiritual growth. Whether you're in a scripture-based group or a sermon response-based group, if you're in a scripture-based group, we break down the entire semester for you. We're going to be in this section of scripture this week and this section of scripture next week. And the expectation is that during the week, you read that passage. At the very minimum, you read it. But throughout the week that you're thinking about that passage, maybe you're reading the study notes in your Bible or you're looking what other people have to say about that passage. So when you come to the group, you've engaged in the process. Even with our sermon response groups, the idea is that you have engaged with the message and the scripture that the message was about so that when you show up to group, you have an opportunity to share what God taught you in it and how it's changing your life. You see, this is the reason... We do what we do in our circles is because the expectation is is that you have some engagement in your spiritual life. If you don't have that engagement, what it looks like is there's no growth in your understanding of God's word. But what happens if you do? What happens if instead of saying, I don't want to, you're saying, I do want to? Well, he, the preacher anticipates that. Look at verse 14. He says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so if you want to, what that looks like is you're understanding God's word, but you're just not understanding God's words. You're also understanding God's ways, how God works in the world, what God's economy is as opposed to our economy and how that looks lived out. See, for those who don't say, I don't want to, and instead say, want to. There's this growing understanding of God's word, but it's not just for information. It's for transformation. 
And there's growth in, in how you interact with the world around you. And you know, I always say here, spiritual growth is measured best in years, not days. Right? Because one day you may be up, one day you may be down. But when you look at an entire year, are you in a, more, in a place where you're walking with more faith and trust in the Lord than you did the year prior on that same day? And if so, that's transformation. And that's, that's a person who says, I want to, to God, instead of I don't want to. And so here's what it takes, though, to move from don't want to to want to. Right? Because here's the, here's the truth of the matter. We all have areas in our life where we don't want to, to God, right? We all have these moments, we all have this time where where we throw these adult, sophisticated temper tantrums, and it's called schedule, it's called busyness, right? It's called exhaustion. And we look at God and we just say, I don't want to. I don't want to be kind to my spouse. I don't want to serve my kids. I don't want to treat my boss like he's a human. I don't want to treat the people that work for me with kindness. I don't want to. We all have areas in our life where, where we do that. And what this preacher is doing, what I hope to do, is to show us how to move from a don't want to to a want to. And so, so the, here's what he's going to do. He's going to say this is what it looks like to move from a don't want to to a want to. Chapter 6, I mean, yeah, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, here's where it starts getting tricky. And here's where it starts getting complicated because people read that verse and they go, what do you mean leave the elementary doctrine of Jesus behind? Like, are we supposed to understand the gospel and, and check off the box and then we can move on to more things like covenant theology or dispensational theology about are we indwelled with the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we empowered by the Spirit? Like, that's the, no. No, what he's saying is that, is that this idea of moving from don't want to to want to is captured this way. Um, think of Easter last weekend. For those of you who gathered with family and friends, and if you weren't able to, think of Thanksgiving. Right? When you gather together with family and there's little kids there, where do little kids sit? At the kids' table, right? And here's what's at the kids' table. At the kids' table, you got, you got plastic plates or paper plates, not the fancy silverware. I mean, silver china. You've got, you've got plasticware, not silverware. You've got plastic cups, not glass glasses, right? The mom comes or the dad comes and picks up the kids' plate and puts food on the kids' plate for them, right? Because you want to make sure it's not all mac and cheese, right? It's got to have a little something green on it. And only parents put that on kids' plates. Kids rarely put that on their own plates. There's some who do, congratulations, but not all do. And then if there's a big chunk of meat, what do you do, parent? You got to cut it up for them, right? That's the kids' table. At the adult table, it's very different. At the kids' table, they're talking about Minecraft, and they're talking about whatever cartoons they're watching. At the adult table, they're talking about different, deeper things. Now imagine, for a moment, if you were an adult sitting at the kids' table, expecting to be treated like a kid. Imagine if you saw a 44-year-old sitting at the kids' table waiting for his mommy to cut his meat waiting for his mommy to pour the drink, what in the world would you think about this 44-year-old? Right? He's in the wrong place. And if you were kind, you would try to bring him to the adult table. 
where he belonged. That's what this preacher is talking about. He's going to say, listen, when, when, when somebody is saying, I don't want to to God, it's like an adult sitting at the kid's table expecting to be treated like a kid. And we, as the church, encourage each other to move from the kid's table to the adult table. That's the picture here. And so and if you're an adult sitting at the kid table, here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell you what you have to understand to move from the kid's table to the adult table. You're not leaving any doctrine behind. You're moving to where you should be. And you take that doctrine with you. We're a gospel-centered church, which means the gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you. We never leave the gospel behind. The gospel is always the center of what we do, and it's the centerpiece of each table, whether it's the kids or adults. But if you're an adult, you get to be at the adult table. And here's what happens to move you to the adult table. Look at, at the rest of verse 1. It says, Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And so this idea of repentance from dead work and faith toward God, what this preacher is going to do is he's going to take those things, repentance and faith, and break it down. Because he's going to answer the question, what does this mean to have repentance from dead works and faith toward God? Well, look at verse 2, and he clears it up, right? Verse 2, it says, and of instruction about washing, uh, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. All right, we clear? All right, see, part of the reason this ver these verses are controversial is because they're confusing. Right, we are a Gentile congregation, which means we're not Hebrew, trying to listen to a message to a bunch of Hebrews. And here's what, here's what this preacher was doing. He was taking this idea of repentance and faith and breaking it down to show us here's what he means by that. So at the kid, to move from the kid's table to the adult table, these are the essential things you have to know because the adult table are talking about these things. And so instructions about washing, if you were in a, a Jewish uh, temple and you grew up there, you would know that, that these, there were lots of washings and ceremonial washings that they would do. And, and, and almost all of them symbolized purity and cleaning. And this Jewish faith, uh, this points to the ultimate purity and cleansing that we have in Jesus. And so for this preacher, he's talking about, he's talking about instructions about washing, but to the, to, the, to the believers, to the Jesus followers, he's pointing them to our ultimate Washing away from sin in Jesus. And that's what our gospel gives us. When we turn to Jesus and turn away from our sin, this is repentance. That's what turning means. And we repent from trying to please God with our own works and our own efforts to understand that Jesus has done the work and therefore God is pleased with us. That's faith. That's repentance and faith. And so, so what he's talking about here is this idea of salvation, but also washing. There were washings that were publicly displayed. So it's not just salvation that he has in mind, but it's also baptism that he has in mind. Right, and he, he wants this church to consider if you're at the kids' table, are you saved and have you been baptized? Have you accepted the gospel of Jesus? And if so, have you made it public? You see, our, our decision to say yes to Jesus, even though it's a personal decision between you and God, it is also an opportunity to have a public display of that faith in baptism. And baptism 
doesn't have to be like here in front of the church. Like Friday, I did a baptism out at Windy Gap in the hot tub, which was nice. Don't get me wrong. Because I don't know if y'all remember Friday, but it was chilly and rainy. And it was friends and it was family of this young woman who had, who had made a decision for Jesus and wanted to make it public. And you can do that. It doesn't have to be here at church. You can, you can make that, that baptism public with your friends and family. Call me. Let's set it up. Find someplace warm, warm water, where I can dunk you. That's the only two qualifiers I have. Warm water and deep enough to hold you under. And depending on who you are, it might hold you under a little bit longer. That's the fun I have with baptism. Um, no, really, I don't. Same amount. Because if, anyway, yeah. But, you know, depending on where you are, we've got a book out there called Reason for God. If you have more questions about salvation, what it means to say yes to Jesus, read that book. Let's talk, because I'd love to work through that with you. And if you haven't been baptized, let's do that. That's what this Hebrew preacher is saying, to move from the adult table, from the kid's table to the adult table. But then he talks about laying on of hands. So not only, not only is it instructions about washings, but it's this laying on of hands. And, and in the Jewish faith, when, when, when someone would, would be called to do this special mission or task, the elders would gather around that person and they would put their hands on him or her and they would pray for them. And that's what laying on a hands means. It means this idea that there is this calling from God is what some people, some people uh, refer to it as. It's gifting, it's purpose or mission. And here at Fellowship, we call it service. What has God made you, who has God made you to be and what has he made you to do? What is your spiritual act of service? Nick is our executive pastor and he's over this area of service and he loves having those conversations with people to see about what it is to empower them to be who God has called them to be and to do what God has called them to do in this season of life, God has called them to do that in. And so talk to Nick, and, and the question there is for you to consider is who has God made you to be and what has he made you to do? That moves you from the kid's table to the adult table. And then you have this idea of resurrection for the dead. You see, in the ancient church, this idea of resurrection wasn't uh, wishful thinking. It was what they anchored their hope in. And this idea of resurrection for the dead is about where is your hope? Is your hope in a wish or is your hope in truth? And for believers, for this Hebrew church, for us as we listen to this, our hope isn't wishful thinking. Our hope is anchored in truth. And that moves us from the kids' table to the adult table. And then this last one, eternal judgment and accountability. Andy Stanley once said, every decision has a direction. Right? When you're at the kids' table, you don't have too many decisions to make. Mommy brings it all to you. When you're at the adult table, you can have the third slice of cake. But is it the best decision? Right? Because every decision has a direction, even that extra piece of cake. In life, all of our decisions have directions. And as you walk with the Lord, those decisions have more and more evident direction. And even when you look at Scripture, your life, those decisions that you make have weight and they have value. And when we die, there is this thing called the Bema seat where, where we 
our judgment for salvation is one thing. Jesus has done that and accomplished that. And as followers of Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that is true. And then there's this other part. And I have, y'all, I have no idea how this works. All right. I'm just going to tell you what I know from Scripture and y'all can figure it out from there. But there's also this part where our lives are laid open before the Lord. And all the decisions that we make are laid bare. And it's as if God picks all those decisions up and and all the bad decisions fall through his fingers and what's left are the decisions that we made in faith and decisions that we made in trust and the decisions that we made where God said, do this, and we said yes instead of no, where, where we said I want to instead of I don't want to. And those are the decisions that are left in his hands. And there's no condemnation for the ones that fell through, but there's reward for the ones that are left. And, and, and somehow, in, in God's economy, he looks at these and he hands them back to us as some sense of reward, as some sense of attaboy, girl, you followed me. And that, that's the direction that our decisions have. And as we grow with the Lord, our faith and trust grows. And that's what this idea of of eternal judgment is, that it's not salvation. That was the first thing. This is about accountability. And so the question that this Hebrew congregation deals with, the question that we deal with is, what direction does this decision take me? And here's what I love about this preacher. Look at verse three. He says, and this we will do if God permits So in other words, he's saying, if I have a chance to come back, my plan is to help you move from the kid's table to the adult table for those of you who want to. And so let's stop right here for just a minute and let me ask you this question. As I went through these four things, um, was there something that you were an adult sitting at the kid's table with? Maybe all four of them, maybe three of them, maybe two of them, maybe one of them, maybe none of them. That's great. But the question is, where are you? Are you an adult sitting at the kid's table in some of these? And if so, Lord willing, I got a simple plan to help all of us too. This summer, um, uh, we're gonna be doing a class that's covering these topics because we wanna help you engage in your spiritual life even better. We're gonna cover salvation and baptism and spiritual giftedness, how to study your Bible, how to lead others. Lord willing, we'll do that. And that's something that you can jump in on to move from the kids' table to the adult table. You can also talk to your growth group leader if you're in a group. And you can go to him and say, listen, as Fred talked about being at the kids' table and the adult table, I'm afraid I'm more at the kids' table for most of my life than I am the adult table. Can you help me? And they'll freak out for a moment and then they'll say yes. Right, leaders? Because they'd love to help you move from the kids' table to the adult table. But what if... What if you're an adult sitting at the kid's table and you still don't want to? Because here's where the pastor's gonna go next and here's where it gets really confusing and controversial. What if you're an adult sitting at the kid's table waiting for mommy to come cut your food and when she does, you take the plate and you throw it across the room and say, I don't want to. What do you do then? Well, this preacher has a particular warning for you and it's a scary one. Look at verse four. 
For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. So they're, they're at the table. They're at the kids' table. They're in the room. They're at the party. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. So mommy has cut their food and it's been delivered to them and it's sitting in front of them. And they throw it across the room because it says, and then they have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Now, this seems like a shift, doesn't it? He, he's talking to the church and he's saying, this is what happens at the kids' table. This is what happens at the adult table. I want you to move. But the question is, what do you do with the adult sitting at the kid table and throwing a temper tantrum saying, I don't want to? And y'all, he's going to describe it. Look at what they're saying. In verse, in verse uh, the rest of verse six, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him in contempt. All right, the picture that he's painting here, and we just saw this last week at Easter when Jesus was on the cross, there were people who were, who were cursing his name, spitting on him, and calling him all kinds of vile language. He's saying that if you're sitting at the kids' table and you're saying, I don't want to, that's one thing. But if you're sitting at the kids' table and you don't want to turns into this is stupid and this is ridiculous and I'm out of here, that's the person that he's talking about. What do you do if you're that person? You see, the preacher is making a point, and I believe that this person can't move to the adult table because they don't even want to be at the kids' table at the end of the day. And he uses this illustration that I think is supposed to give some light to this. In verse 7, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. You see, there are those kids sitting at the, those adults sitting at the kids' table who want to move to the adult table, but there may be those adults who are at the kids' table and they want to leave the party. And the illustration here is of two different types of seeds. One seed produces a crop. The other seed produces weeds and thistles. And how do you know which one you are? Because that's what's going through your mind, right? Or maybe how do I know what the person next to me is? Maybe that's what's going through your mind. Or how do I know what my friend on Facebook, who we're in college ministry together, and now it looks like they're just like everybody else. How do I know which one they are? Well, let me give you some advice about you, and we'll address them in just a minute. Let me give you some advice about you over 20 years of pastoring and counseling people is this. Jesus really is greater than your don't want to. Right? No matter what your don't want to is, Jesus really is greater than. And if you struggle with a don't want to, and you struggle with the idea of you're an adult sitting at the kids' table, and you want to be at the adult table, but, but something is holding you at the kids' table, and you don't know what it is, and every time you try to get up and go to the adult table, somebody pushes you back down to the kids' table, or every time you get up, you fall on your face, here's the deal. If you have any amount of want to, that's a great indicator that you've got a good crop in you. It's the people who sit at the kids' table and don't want to and never want to that we have a question about. See, if the idea, here's a little litmus test. 
If the idea of taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth sounds intriguing to you, if the idea of this class that I just mentioned, for example, if that sounded intriguing to you, like, man, I would love to do that. I would love to learn how to lead better. I'd love to learn how to study my Bible better. I'd love to learn what salvation and baptism, all that stuff means. If that, was, if that was a thought that you had, that's a good indicator that you've got a crop in you. But if I talked about taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth and it sounded boring or stupid or if it sounded like a, a, a lame waste of time to you, that might be an indicator that you have got weeds instead of a crop. And if so, I have a warning for you. Just like this Hebrew pastor had a warning for his people. Don't assume that coming to church is the same as being a Christian. Don't assume that putting your kids in a Christian school or in a youth program or anything like that is going to assume that they're going to be believers. They're great. Put them, put them, put them in Christian school. Put them in the youth program. Put them in the kids program. But don't make the assumption that information equals transformation. Don't make the assumption that attendance equals transformation. Because you see, as we've been doing this greater than thing, I've tried to use math symbols in here, which is hard because I was never great at math. But, um, but, but this one is the does not equal sign. All right? It means that the thing on one side does not equal the thing on the other side. Attendance does not equal transformation. And attendance is great. I love that you're here. I love that you want to serve and sign up for Serve Asheville. I love that you want to be in growth groups. But that's not the secret sauce of our faith. This is the secret sauce of our faith. Engagement equals transformation. You are the one who can engage with the Lord on your spiritual life, and it makes a difference. I can't keep doing that for you. Your leaders can't keep doing that for you. Eventually, you have to cut your own meat and eat it. That's what spiritual growth is. And the gospel invites you to engage in a relationship with God through Jesus, not just attend church, but to engage in a relationship. And if that sounds new to you today, if you thought church was about showing up and looking good and closing your Bible and putting it on the dashboard and waiting till next week, I invite you to try something different this week. And I invite you to try having a relationship with God through Jesus and letting him be greater than you don't want to. So now the question still may be lingering though, but Fred, what about my friend on Facebook? Right? What about the person sitting next to me whose spiritual life has been tanked and, and they look completely like everybody else in the world, if not even worse now? What if, what if they're one of those people who it looks like they're the ones saying this is stupid, they're throwing the plate across the room? Well, it's a great question. And look at where the believer and look at where the preacher focuses our attention. Verse nine. He says, though we speak in this way. In other words, he's saying, listen, I get it. I just dropped a bomb on you. It's a little confusing, a little complicated. Here's where we go. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. See, here's what I love that he didn't do. He didn't say, all right, let's talk about them. He says, no, 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 let's talk about us. Let's talk about you. Where is your spiritual life? 
because you're the one who can have better things. And he's saying, for those of you who desire to move from the kids' table to the adult table, look at what he says. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance and hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so what he's saying to you, he's saying on you, don't worry about them, you look at you. And what do you do when you have a don't want to? You remember that Jesus is greater than your don't want to. And I love how it ends. Don't be sluggish. You see, he's saying, listen, we all have seasons and we all have areas where we just don't want to. And I'll tell you, almost every Sunday I stand right over there during worship and I don't want to stand up here. Because preaching God's word has this weight to it that until you've done it, you have no idea how heavy it is. Because y'all look at me as I'm talking, right? You're wondering what I'm going to say. I could lead us all in a horrible, wrong direction. And there's weight to that. There's weight knowing that I'm taking God's word out and holding it in front of you and asking you to follow Jesus, and there's weight to that. And a lot of Sundays I sit over there and I'm like, God, I don't want to do this. I don't even like standing up here just on a personality level. I don't like having the spotlight on me. But what I do is the same thing that you can do, and I'll bow my head over here, and and I pray this same prayer almost every week. And it sounds a little offensive at the beginning, but it's not, and I'll tell you what. Because I bow my head and I say, Jesus, you love them more than I do. And that sounds offensive, but the next part is, and I love them a whole lot. And I want to give them your truth. But this is just a bunch of words on an iPad. And you need to move. And I take my don't want to to Jesus. And you can do that. When you don't want to serve your kids, just tell him, God, I don't want to serve them today. I don't want to be a good parent. I don't want to be a good spouse. I don't want to be a a kind roommate. Jesus, I don't want to pray. And then guess what? You just did. But what he does is he takes that don't want to, and when you go to him in prayer and and you yield your don't want to to him, he's there with open arms, not a pointing finger. And he will welcome you and remind you that he is greater than your don't want to. So if you're a person in here today and you have a don't want to in your life, or if that don't want to is gonna hit you this afternoon, it's gonna hit you Monday morning, or it's gonna hit you Wednesday afternoon, You see, when you don't want to gets the best of you, we go to Jesus. Because he is greater than I don't want to. And so church, what happens when we take our don't want to's to Jesus and he turns them into want to's is it doesn't actually change the circumstance around us. You know what? Our kids don't get nicer. They they, they don't get 
they're still hungry three times a day or ten times a day if you have teenagers. They still need you. But what changes is you. And that makes all the difference. So church, let's take our don't want to to Jesus and let him change it into a want to. Let's pray.